Hello and welcome back to the Moroccan History Podcast. Episode 3, Juba II, the Enlightened King of Mauritania. In this episode, we will meet a king with an incredibly underrated history, a character whose sheer charisma and wisdom set him apart from all his contemporary rulers and allowed him to inscribe his name in history not as a mere king, but as a polymath whose writings on history, philosophy, science, and the arts allowed historians to have an accurate idea of the southern Mediterranean world in the first century AD. Despite being a lot less known than his contemporary Roman client king of Judea, Herod the Great, the colorful and complex story of Jewa II is intricately tied to that of Octavian commonly known to us as Augustus, the first Roman Emperor. As such, we will delve into the events that led to the fall of the Roman Republic and the establishment of the Roman Empire, and understand how those events have allowed Juba II, an outcast and political prisoner of Rome, to become one of the greatest Roman client kings of late antiquity. Our story begins in Rome in the 46th year before Christ. A great procession is making its way through the Roman Forum. The general, Gaius Julius Caesar, is leading this triumphal march to celebrate his victories in Africa, where he has just defeated the last Numidian king, Juba I, at the Battle of Thapsus in modern-day Tunisia. As dictated by Roman protocol, the defeated king had to be paraded in golden chains before the Roman gods and people, symbolizing his impotence before the eternal might of Rome, before being executed. But the prisoner who was paraded in Caesar's African triumph was not the defeated king of Numidia, but rather an infant, richly dressed and unperturbed by the savage screams of the pitiless Roman crowd around him. This child was the son of the conquered king of Numidia, who had committed suicide after his defeat to avoid the humiliating parade through Rome Julius Caesar had planned for him. The young child, orphaned by Rome, would now be raised by Rome. For Caesar executed all the prisoners who took part in the triumph, but decided to spare the young Juba for reasons that are still unclear to historians. When Caesar was infamously assassinated at the Ides of March two years later, the young Juba eventually found himself in the household of Caesar's grandniece, Octavia. Here, the young Juba grew among the first Roman imperial family and was treated as an equal Roman, despite being a barbarian from Africa. In fact, Augustus, the future first Roman emperor, had a strong belief that foreign children within his extended family should be treated as natural-born ones, and decided to make young Juba a Roman citizen. Thanks to his upbringing in a Roman aristocratic household, Juba received the best contemporary education and became well-versed in virtually every subject of the time. He specialized in linguistics, natural history, Roman history, science and the arts. While exploring the streets of Rome, Juba also learned his own history through the exiled Numidian communities of the Eternal City and became fully conscious of his illustrious lineage as the last survivor of a line of Numidian kings 
stretching back more than three centuries. The young Juba soon showed an extraordinary talent as he published his first works before he was 20, a collection of works titled Roman Archaeology and covering a vast period of time from the mythological founding of Rome to the Hispanic Wars, with an emphasis on the ancient Roman customs that were revived by Augustus in an attempt to clearly define Roman legitimacy and supremacy over the Mediterranean states. The works of Juba were of outstanding academic quality, so much so that they became a reference among literary and scientific circles. His works were used as primary sources by Plutarch and other great scholars of antiquity. As Juba's talents were becoming increasingly useful, Augustus decided to make him part of his plans for post-war Rome. He took him to Spain to provide him with military experience and teach him to lead in late 27 BC. Juba waged war against the various Spanish tribes until 25 BC, when Augustus decided to implement the plans for his destiny. As the Kingdom of Numidia had been provincialized by Julius Caesar 20 years prior, Juba could not be sent to rule there. But to the west of Numidia was an anomalous territory called Mauritania, ruled by a native dynasty and increasingly of concern to the Romans. The Mauritanian rulers had been related to the Numidian dynasty and had become somewhat Romanized. As this kingdom of Mauritania was in the midst of a civil war that left a power vacuum, Augustus seized this opportunity and placed Juba as a Roman client king of Mauritania. The orphaned Numidian child, berated by Caesar on his African triumph 20 years prior, had hence become Juba II, Rex Literatissimus, meaning the enlightened scholar-king. However, Juba II now needed to find a suitable wife, someone who would help him establish a prosperous dynasty in North Africa to uphold Roman interests there. Augustus did not have to look further than his immediate family to find an excellent candidate, his stepniece, the daughter of Cleopatra VII and Mark Antony, named Cleopatra Selene, half Greek and half Roman, this young girl had been brought to the Augustan household after the events that unfolded at Actium and led to the suicide of her illustrious parents in 30 BC. The only surviving child of Cleopatra VII and Mark Antony, Cleopatra Selene had a legal claim to both the thrones of Egypt and Libya, and thus had an excellent African connection to complement that of Juba. Having both been raised in the same household that caused the death of their respective parents, Juba II and Cleopatra Selene were undoubtedly well acquainted before their wedding, and it is very likely that they had an affinity for each other that helped them forge a strong bond as co-rulers of Mauritania. Augustus had thus found the perfect match to both uphold the interests of Rome in North Africa and get rid of one of the last surviving children of Mark Antony, who had become too dangerous to either keep in Rome or to assassinate. Cleopatra Selene's role in the ruling affairs of Mauritania has often been overlooked by historians, but it is essential to know just how much her rich heritage perfectly complemented that of Juba and allowed the Roman client rulers to build a wealthy kingdom within the Roman cultural and political sphere. Cleopatra Selene brought her rich Ptolemaic heritage to the kingdom and her mother's skill and determination. In late 25 BC, 
Juba II and Cleopatra Selene were married in a glamorous ceremony recorded by the Greek court poet Crinagoras of Mytilene that cemented their ascendance to the Mediterranean elite of the time. The royal couple immediately departed for Eole, the ancient Mauritanian capital of Bocas, and renamed it Caesarea. They ruled together for the next 20 years, and Juba II ruled alone for nearly 30 more, controlling a vast territory stretching from Roman Africa to the Atlantic, the largest of all the client kingdoms. The Berber tribes living within the Mauritanian kingdom and surrounding its loosely defined borders were a constant threat, as they never fully submitted to the authority of Rome or their client rulers. Roman military assistance became an early and constant feature of Juba II and Cleopatra Selene's reign. But the two rulers also brought the kingdom into the imperial economic sphere. The territory produced vast amounts of grain, fish, purple dye and timber for export to Italy. At Caesarea, Juba and Cleopatra Selene developed a rich royal court that combined Roman, Ptolemaic and indigenous Berber elements. They both claimed descent from Heracles and thus consciously associated their origin with the mythical founder of Mauritania, King Atlas. The two rulers built an imperial cult around themselves and became patrons of the arts and sciences, creating a multicultural court that was in constant contact with Augustan Rome and the developing Augustan intellectual circle. Upon his accession to the throne, Juba II immediately used all the resources newly available to him and set out to explore and study his new kingdom. Expeditions were sent into the High Atlas, the Sahara and the Atlantic. Juba II also began a major work to study the history, geography and natural history of all North Africa outside Lower Egypt. Building on Ptolemaic explorations of the Upper Nile, he even concluded that the river originated in Mauritania in the High Atlas, a misconception that persisted in Western academic circles well into the 19th century. He published this work on North Africa around the year 5 BC and impressed Augustus with it to such an extent that the emperor included him as a geographical advisor on the eastern expeditions of his grandson Gaius Caesar, which set forth in the year 2 BC. This decision was made easier by the fact that Juba II had recently become a widower, as his wife and co-ruler Cleopatra Selene had died in 6 BC. This travel to the east took Juba from Antioch to Gaza and inland Petra, which allowed him to gather precious material for his next work, a book called On Arabia. While on residence at the court of Archelaus, son of Herod the Great, Juba II met and married an eastern princess named Glyphira, with intentions to create a dynastic unity between east and west. However, Augustus most probably disapproved of an alliance between his two most powerful client kingdoms, and as a barbarian revolt broke out in Mauritania, the emperor immediately called Juba II back to his throne and ordered him to divorce Glyphira. When Juba returned home around 3 AD, he set about restoring order in his kingdom and began to show signs of age, riding no more and embarking on no more expeditions. Approaching 60, 
Juba began handing over affairs of state to his son Ptolemy, the last royal bearer of that illustrious name who succeeded him when Juba II died in the midst of a revolt. Ptolemy was validated as king of Mauritania by the Roman Senate and continued to rule until AD 40 when he was summoned to Rome by the Emperor Caligula and suddenly executed. After Ptolemy's death, Mauritania was fully annexed as a Roman province and no significant centralized rule in the region saw the light of day for the next few centuries. The province of Mauritania was however wealthy and developed and became increasingly Romanized and later Christianized while always keeping its native Berber tribal culture and customs. And thus ended the reign of Juba II in our chapter on the Kingdom of Mauritania. Thank you for tuning in to the third episode of Winds of the West and I'll look forward to speaking to you soon.